Welcome to Working Dog Radio. Broadcasting the bite. All right. This is uh, January 2020 pre-roll. All right, let's talk about training. Uh, we're going to be at HITS in Scottsdale, Arizona this year, 2020, August 18th through the 21st. Eric and I are actually going to be instructing. Uh, so head over to HITS K9, letter K number nine dot net. Get signed up. Don't wait till the last minute like I know all of you people do. Head over and get signed up now before the prices increase. RayAllen.com. If you own a dog... Train dogs of any sort, pet dogs, working dogs, any dog you could have, rayallen.com, one-stop shop for anything you need. Stick around during the podcast, listen for the discount codes, rayallen.com, best in the business. Yeah, one of our favorite partners who signed on for the rest of this year is Dogtra. Uh, excellent remote collars and the ball trainer. I got like four of those things at the kennel. They're awesome. Popper and a dropper. I've got the pro and the first version. Um, and one of my favorites is the 1900S. Head over to Dogtra.com and check out everything they got. And then listen in the, in the middle of the episode for the discount code. If you want a great dog, great training, and want to go hang out in Florida and do all that, especially in the wintertime, our great friends at Southern Coast Canine, uh, they're amazing down there. They've been doing it a long time. they got single-purpose, dual-purpose trainer schools, handler schools, admin schools down in the Daytona, Florida area, southerncoastcanine.com. And one of our favorite 501s is the guys from Georgia Canine Foundation. After dogs retire, there's a lot of associated costs, and the departments generally don't cover those. It's on the handler to, to cover that. Those guys at the Georgia Police Canine Foundation take care of those dogs post-retirement. Head over to the website, check it out, buy some T-shirts, donate some money, and take care of the dogs after they get done working. So if you uh, want a kennel, you want to be in a kennel business or you have one you need to expand, horizonstructures.com is amazing. They will show up at your place, prefab, pre-built kennel, plug it into your sewer, into your water, into your power, on your property, drop it, hook up, put dogs in it that day. It's amazing, horizonstructures.com. Hey, everybody, we are back, Working Dog Radio broadcasting the bite uh we are currently in memphis tennessee for an hrd seminar so ted and i got to be in the same room together and uh so i'm sitting across looking at him did yes. you trim your beard uh i had a haircut yeah all right look went, at that I went look and at saw you. Rafi, my my barber <laughs> he's awesome so what's going on man uh we drove in today from tulsa uh it's only like five and a half hours something not that big of a deal and picked you and ray and everybody up in the airport tyler's here standing here looking at us in the kitchen say hi tyler Hey guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then Hagner should be here in a little bit, and Travis is somewhere. So I don't know where he's at. But uh, I know. But anyways. Yeah, I do too. Um, <laughs> uh, what's going on back in Tulsa? Um, we had three dogs go home. Uh, handler schools are starting for four or five dogs uh, here pretty quick. Uh, first part of February. Um, I've got a tactical tracking course I'm doing with um, a local sheriff's office there as part of a multi-jurisdictional task force. Um, and they don't have any dogs. And they're like, oh, we got to figure out, you know, how to integrate dogs. I'm like, oh, you don't have any? And they're like, no, but other departments that are part of the task force do. And I'm like, oh, this is well, What be- if one shows up one time? we <laughs> yeah. got to be able to. <laughs> we don't know. So, yeah. Uh, and they're really good at tracking in general, like man tracking. 
Um, so that one I think is coming up in February, um, but it's through Torchlight, so uh, not an HRD thing, but should be good for sure. What about up in Canton? Um, well, I finished a handler school Friday, so the best day of handler school is the last day of handler school. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we love all you guys, though, I promise. Yeah. Um, I'm just glad not to see your fucking ass every day. Uh, that's why I say, you know, for <laughs> for the longest time when I was at the police department, my classes were 12 to 14 weeks long, and I know the dudes were sick of me when we were done, <laughs> you know, and I was sick of them. They know it. it's time to get, they want to go work, right? So, you know, now in the era of shortened classes, um, it's just shoving so much information down a green handler's throat i i don't like it i hate it actually yeah. i think there's too short and i don't like them but it is trying you know you got to work within the the constraints of these uh, agencies um, yeah you know bob eaton uh one of our guests that's been on here before posted he had a conversation about that today talking about how the classes have been shortened and like mm -hmm. budgets are getting cut and everything else and you know i mean the days of the 16 and 18 week courses are getting i mean i know like big i know there are still people that do it but i mean it's yeah. hard well, to, i don't do them that long the, the you know uh, aaron taylor and his guys are 26 weeks i think he said yeah i'll murder a motherfucker and, and <laughs> there's no way i could yeah. handle it and they'll hate me they will hate my guts we'll come out of there not being friends anymore it'd be terrible that's almost six months yeah that's crazy and um in florida you gotta do 600 and something hours we were down there with jay nicks but that's all like in-service stuff it's yeah. not like you're there if you're a handler and you're listening to this and you're on Facebook, but you're not a member of the LEO canine discussion page, you should get on there. It's, there's some, I get a little frustrated and irritated with a lot of dumb shit, but, um, there's some on there is a lot of good, very, very experienced people with some very good answers on some things. And yeah, Jake, the guy that runs at Jake Simmons is a canine guy out in, um, I'm not going to say where he's from, but he's from a neighboring state here where we're at. And, uh, he does a good job, um, keeping that, relatively shit show free yeah so it's, it's had a couple it's definitely not a, not a yeah. dumpster fire but but no you get like <laughs> you get like gooseby out in la he's been jumping in there a lot with uh you know his perspective on some things the guy's been doing a long time right um he's testified in federal court i guarantee more times than any canine guy in history yeah um so it's just been a lot of there's there's some good stuff on there i just hate facebook so much but um, I'll get on there and check that stuff out every once in a while. Yeah, there's definitely good discussions in there. Um, so speaking of discussions tonight, um, it's going to be you and me. We're going to be doing um, how do you slash um, Q&A Q version 2.0. Um, so the questions that we're going to talk about today came straight from our Patreon account, mm -hmm. um, which is behind a wall. Um, you got to be a subscriber to see it. But we had Patreon members um, sign up and uh, get in there and give us some questions to talk about. So we're going to be doing those. We're going to read them, and then we'll talk about them. Um, we're going to do most of the questions. Some of them are duplicates, but so we won't do doubles. But, yeah, so what's the first one? All right, so let's start off. It's from uh, our buddy James Allen. Um, it's, would you would all be willing to throw a short video or discussion together on out-of-the-box ways to use the dog trap hopper? Uh, he just got one Friday and and loves it already. He's just looking for some different ways to do it. I know you have numerous dog trap hoppers. Yeah, I've got the regular one, or I've got the first gen, and I've got the pro. Um, one launches the ball. The first gen launches the ball, like, fucking super high. Um, and the pro launches it not near as high, has a rechargeable battery. Um, it's got a little bit faster reaction time. Uh, there are some differences. Um, that being said, like the normal way to do it is like, how we do it, right? Like you put it in boxes. Mm -hmm. um, uh, our buddy, 
up in Michigan, somebody Scott. Built, yeah, Scott built some. Uh, he built some special. Um, I gotta get him to give us the fucking plans for that. He's a Patreon member too. We'll get the plans for that and then we'll put them up so people can see them. But um, it's you basically put it in the box, wait for the dog to go sit on order. Ball comes out, pretty mm-hmm. straightforward, right? right? So the thing about the dog is they're also a dropper. Well, in Doctor's Infinite Wisdom, they didn't really allow us a way to attach this thing to anything. So it comes with a strap, which I understand is designed to hide in a blind or in a tree or something else, right? Well, me being me, um, I went to Home Depot and got a bunch of super glue and some super strong magnets, and I glue magnets to the side of this. If everybody goes back, I don't know, a couple months, October, November, uh, there's a video of me doing a Jeffrey Epstein thing. Uh, with one of the doctor ball poppers um, where I'm up under our bus and uh, I stick it to the frame of the bus. And that's one way that I do it. And I also hide the first gen in um, a car. So everybody's, if you watch the videos from Torchlight or from HRD or wherever, you'll see the red shit box to Painville, which is my big suburban at the kennel where I teach vehicle extractions and searching vehicles and everything else. Uh, But I'll hide the ball dropper and popper inside the front seat and I'll angle it. And as the dog finds odor, hit the button, the ball just flies out of the window and dogs, you know, and I stick it to the side of cars and everything else. So um, that's some kind of out of the box ways that were not really intended for it to be used, but for sure. Yeah, um, I've had it. I've had where I put them inside a um, vehicle with the window rolled down. Yep. And you got to kind of test it and you got to maybe prop it up. Yeah. But we'll have the, the odor like. A, a significant amount of odor in a door seam so the dog hits that odor when he does then you boop and launch the ball out the window yep i've done that um again you got to test it you got to uh you know i a box or something and, and propped it up um i've done uh the dro- using the dropper hanging it from above door jams and you can use that magnet too yep magnetize it to a door jam especially if you're working on explosive dogs where you want them to check inside the breach of every door you know come and get out of habit or get them in the habit of checking left and checking right you know for for booby traps um you can do that um every time you say popper and dropper it makes me think back to when i was a break dancer every single time you say that (laughs) (laughs) eric was a break dancer i was i was pretty good too i wasn't bad cardboard and everything oh yeah i'll bust it out every once in a while (laughs) <laughs> a little break dancing, a little popping and locking. Yeah, dude. Um, yeah, that, I have a great story about that, but that was back in my uh, ninth and tenth grade. I was uh, pretty deep into uh, break dancing. Not bad. I had the parachute pants and all that shit. It was pretty good. So, anyways, there's some things to think about, James. You can, um, you know, manufacture different boxes. I know guys make some things out of totes. Um, yeah, I've got that one too. Yeah. One of the things that Scott makes is he makes, uh, he use gets, uh, goes to Home Depot or wherever and buys a pile of those, uh, um, paint buckets or buckets that have lids. Yeah. And then he'll drill, cut a hole in lids and a bunch of those. Right. And then he'll take some and cut holes in the bottom of the bucket. So you can stack them on top of each other, have a hole there. There's just a lot of different ways you can use that. Um, it's a different shape. The dog trail one is from some of the other ones, so you got to keep that in mind. But if you're, if you're handy at all, you can have some fun with it. All right, so let's move on to the next one. Uh, Sean O'Connor asks, what's a good strategy for learning how to decoy without LE or military experience? I'd love to do a decoy school, but I think the civilian part is, is a restriction there. Um, since decoy is one of your biggest things, why don't, why don't you jump in there? So 
there's no replacement for just getting in a suit and getting smashed. Um, it's kind of one of those things that you, there is no replacement for, um, just doing it. Um, and doing it well. Um, I know guys that have been decoying a long time, um, that frankly are fucking terrible Mm. and they were never shown. Um, my advice is to seek out my, my advice would be, especially if you want to work in, in law enforcement is to go find a PSA or a Mondia ring club. And those dudes know how to catch dogs and they know how to build correct targeting and correct grips and they under and they will teach you and they will teach you how to do it correctly and the biggest portion of learning to decoy is having dogs that are experienced um you know when i teach decoying uh like my intern now josh um it he it was about shit almost two years before i even let him work on green dogs um every dog that he worked was a mature patrol dog a mature sport dog that, that was familiar with targeting or not familiar was very familiar with targeting correct gripping, you know, they were forgiving of mistakes. They understood what they were supposed to be doing. If he wasn't reinforcing things correctly at the right times, which is kind of the next question we'll get to in just a second. But, um, there is no replacement for just doing it and doing it correctly. There's so many things that are nuanced when you're wearing a suit, um, that you can't see on a video that you, I can talk about it all day long, but until you physically do it, there's just no replacement. So I don't know where you're at, Sean, but, um, you know, you mentioned another kennel in your post here, um, and that those guys are fantastic. Um, you know, Sean Siggins is probably one of the best decoys in the suit in the fucking country, and you will definitely learn something from that dude. Mm-hmm. That I can tell you. Um, but, you know, that is, there is no way to do it. So you need access to experienced dogs um, that do it correctly, and you need access to um, good coaching with people that can say, this is they're, they're going to where you anticipate the mistakes before you make them and prevent mm-hmm. you from doing it. Um, that kind of instruction will get, put you a long, 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 long way ahead of just getting out and fucking just buying a suit and then hoping it goes well. All right. Good. The next, the next one is, um, a really good one actually. And this, you'll have, um, this will be right up your alley. Uh, Chris Sarnecki asks how to work on calmness on the bite, especially for dogs that are very possessive and vocal stressed while biting while always striving for full, firm, and calm, what te- techniques do you employ to deal with the calmness? So, you know, you, know, you mentioned the three qualities of a bite that I, you and I talk about a lot, or he, Chris did, um, firm, full, and calm. We're talking specifically about the last one. So, you know, kind of the last question I mentioned where we're gonna talk about this is when we're gonna do it now. Um, I guess I'll just take this like from the beginning part of it too. So when you have dogs, there's a myth, there's a pervasive myth um, that I just think is false just because of the number of dogs I have contact with that have shown me that this is false. But there's a myth out there that any dog that makes noise while they're biting is uncomfortable. Um, I have sold dogs that are fucking street sweepers that they make noise in their sleep. There's, we sold a German shepherd and he just like, he, he makes noise when he's asleep. He makes noise when he eats. He makes noise when he tracks. He's just a noisy vocal dog. When you would put him in defense, he would go dead silent. And he was just, it's just the thing. And so, you know, it's really trite to say, but, you know, look at the dog in front of you. Um, If the dog is naturally vocal anyway, and they're vocal during biting, that's drive leaking. Um, You know, they're working on satiating that drive and they're working on, um, you know, fulfilling the desire all the way through to bite. There's a lot of people that like to out that way, just let them bite for 45 minutes until they get tired of it, which... 
this is neither here nor there. It's kind of beside the scope of this conversation, but it's part of that um, that is kind of encompassing in this. So when we start talking about dogs that are loud and biting and they're normally that way and just a prey bite, then you can work on it through time and through drive capping um, to get them to kind of calm down a little bit. Um, and we're not talking about drive channeling here. Um, but you specifically say that it's vocal and stressed. Um, when the dog does get stressed, like if you're working on channeling from defense to, to prey back and forth, uh, you definitely want to know what those signs look like, like what those signs are. It can be a dog. And typically when dogs are vocal, they'll be silent. And when they're silent and they start getting vocal and they start pulling, they start doing something other than what they normally do. That's usually can tell when you're starting to tap into those thresholds before you start crossing into full on defense mode, whether they're going to fucking bounce or going to try and kill you. Um, and you want to be able to recognize that beforehand. So when we're always, you say, when we're striving for these firm, full and calm bites, you know, what techniques do you employ? to deal with the calmness. Um, it's kind of one of those, one, I do it with time, and two, like I said, I do it with capping. Um, and two, I'll, or in three, I'll do it in areas that are familiar to the dog. So once I get the correct biting behavior in like the bite box, then I'll move it to a back tie, I'll move it to a car, I'll do something. And typically some dogs that are good environmental, they don't care. Like, you know, Eric, that's one of Eric's things is environmentals. Like if they'll bite, you know, that way, where they're comfortable, that's one way to tell when they're not. But um, I, uh, I kind of, like I said, look at the dog in front of me, and if they're vocal, they'll voc they're vocal, and I try and work on it through capping. And if they're not, then I know when they're going to cross into a defense or back and forth, vice versa. What, explain to them, uh, to Chris and everybody, you, how you're using capping. Tell them about that. So drive capping, so when dogs are young and puppies, we you hear this term all the time, drive building, drive building, drive building. We want to have a dog that has insane drive, insane drive, insane drive. There are dogs that have, uh, I have handled some dogs that have too much, mm -hmm. um, that they're almost fucking unmanageable. Um, so we use drive capping um, to, and people have heard me say this before, but dogs, they only got two fucking brain cells and they're arguing. Um, so I use drive capping as a way to kind of get the dog to work within that drive and kind of self-manage them and kind of self-manage. I do it through self-discovery and I do it through time. So a lot of the frantic, like when they get frantic, you know, Eric, you say this all the time, you know, when we track, you know, you give the dog a ball for 30 seconds and then we want to take it away from them. Right. So I constantly see this too at HRDs where, you know, these dogs are bred, are selected, bred, raised, and trained to fucking bite people. Like, that is their highest expression of drive. And canine handlers will send a dog into a bite, and then they'll fucking rush up behind him. And the dog starts blading, looking for the handler. The dog gets frantic because he doesn't want... I mean, the dog's been on a bite for 10 seconds. And um, then the dog, you know, starts getting fucking weird, and he starts getting frantic, starts looking for the handler because he doesn't want to come off yet. And, you know, one of the main things that you and I see a lot at these HRD things is dogs that aren't exposed to bites in the minutes ranges, three, mm -hmm. four, five, ten 10 minutes. Um, that does a lot to, um, satiate and to cap and to allow the dog to start to think. And through successive approximation and multiple sessions of long bites, the dog start to learn and that threshold comes sooner. So if it takes two to three minutes to get there, soon it can take 20 to 30 seconds, and then you can start working. As soon as they start to bite, then it's 
they start immediately settling into their what I call pulsing or where they start driving. And mm-hmm. then it's a pretty straightforward way from there. Yeah. So Chris, uh, take a, take a self inventory of your training and are you just doing the 30 seconds, you know, or maybe the minute on, on the bite, you need to start extending that out. I have a dog that I trained up and sold, um, who leaks drive leaks really bad. Uh, Drago's his name just, screams when he's on doing bite work um and he what he needs is long stretches of time on the on the suit long stretches because and we get into a bad habit especially when it comes time to get ready for certification is we stop doing the longer bites and it's a quick thing and and uh that starts causing some problems that's a lot of times when guys get bit and some of that too is conflict like um Mm -hmm. you know and like eric says it gets they get start getting ready for certifications or the dog is anticipating being outed and they're typically outed with compulsion and they don't want to be the only place that dog is safe is when he's biting people which is part of the reason he doesn't want to out because <laughs> that's the only time he's not getting fucking corrected yeah. so a lot of the franticness too and the vocalization if they're typically quiet um can i've seen quiet dogs become vocal on bites because they're afraid of being corrected for outing um, so, you know, like when we had Carlos on, it's called bite work, not out work. So, you know, if you're causing conflict in the out, that can also cause some vocalization. So I don't think there is a, uh, and I've seen some quote unquote master trainers do that. Like I've sold a dog that was fucking gangster and was fantastic and was just dead silent. I never heard the motherfucker bark. And then, you know, he comes back a year later the dog is a mess on a grip and the master trainer was like, well, we, tra- we worked on his out a lot. And I thought to myself, yeah, no shit. I can tell because yeah. the dog, and as soon as he bites, he's ready to out. Yeah. Two hand baseball swing with that. Yeah. With that leash on a prong collar is what they were doing. Yeah. So when we start talking about vocalization, it can be several things. It could be drive leaking. It could be conflict with the handler. It can be anticipating correction for not out. It can be any number of things and it's not a hard, fast rule, but those are typically like the big ones I see. You want to read the next one? Yeah, it's from Jordan Kerr. Um, it's the first time handler advice. Uh, I was getting a lab uh, with narcotics and tracking. Also, with that being said, he's heard from people saying uh, you're an e-caller. If you have an e-caller or don't, wondering your thoughts. Also, while at handler school, going to learn how to be a decoy. Any advice for the first time decoys? So I already answered the first yeah, time decoy yeah, thing. Go like, back. Just get fucking smashed by dogs by somebody that knows what the fuck they're doing and dogs that know what they're doing right so um jordan on the rest of your question um so first off i i applaud you for joining up listening to us following us and trying to learn as much as you can but don't go into your handler school with a big pile of opinions in your head that a bunch of people are giving you when you have no idea you have no idea what's going to happen when you get there. You don't know how to handle a leash. You don't know. Maybe, maybe you're a sport dog guy. Maybe you do know a little bit about that stuff like that. But go in, see what, see how your dog is, see how your training is. I absolutely have single-purpose dogs that I have trained that did not wear an e-collar, and I have had some that absolutely wear an e-collar. Yeah. It's, it's based on the individual dog. I don't do it with all of them. Um, I've had dogs, I trained a dog for cell phone detection that I had to put it on him because he would try to aggress the odor. 
So I had to, and listen, you can't, you got to be pretty skilled because you're timing. And I, I do all this by myself. I have a leash. I have the e-collar. He goes in, finds it in the desk drawer. The second his paw starts to come up towards the desk drawer, it's a, um, it's a correction, a redirection, and a reward. And it takes you, if you can have someone help you, it's easy. But I would just wait Wait before you get into that. But those of you listening that are already in the mix, um, I'm not a big believer in a bunch of compulsion obedience prior to detection. So this is a big thing yeah. with this is a big thing with handlers. You guys are a bunch of OCD motherfuckers, and I say that because I'm an OCD motherfucker. Um, Boy, look at his phone. <laughs> right. So a lot of people, you will not see any numbers on that bitch, but um, no red. But what happens is. Um, Guys, handlers want to walk up to the car with their dog, and because they're OCD, they have to slam this dog into a sit, even though he's dragging them towards the car to start working. I'm not ready yet. You sit, and they fucking hammer him into a sit, and then I have to fix my glove exactly the same way, like I'm, like I'm a, a fucking baseball player at the plate. Get, you know, I got to fix the left glove, fix the right glove the exact same way. I got to tuck this, this, touch my hat, sniff the air, got to fucking get my leash just right, sook, in the same way. So when you do that, anytime then, and the dog is trying to work and you're crushing it, you're stopping him from working. So anytime anything weird happens or the dog gets any kind of um, confusion, their go-to go is going to be to... Um, their go-to is going to be to uh, sit. So you're going to be creating some problems. Um, so I'm not a big believer in crushing, uh, crushing obedience on, on single-purpose detection dogs. Now, I do believe in uh, doing obedience with those dogs. I do it mostly uh, food-motivated, the way I do it, so that they do it because they like it and they have fun. Um, but there's, there's nothing that says you're your um, single-purpose dog can't be an asshole. I mean, there's asshole single-purpose dogs. So <laughs> Hagner just got here, and him and, uh, him and Tyler are spooning. <laughs> Nut to butt. So I think Hagner's drunk already. All right. Uh, you have I'll, anything to add to that? Yeah, I'll add to it. I'm, we're going to take a break real quick, go to commercial, and then um, I'll answer that question when we come back. All right, guys. Scottsdale, Arizona, 2020 hits. Uh, first of all, congratulations to Jeff Barrett, one of the owners of hits. Uh, for his retirement. Jeff's oh, a yeah. good dude. Um, Ted and I are going to be instructing there this year. It's the best conference out there, period. It's yep. the biggest and the best. Um, it's in Scottsdale. Never been there. Can't wait. You know, it's in the desert, and the hotel has a wave pool. So, guys, we can go surf. All you dudes can be out there, you know, with your dad bods and all that stuff, um, hanging out. Ted... Here, when and where? Can. What are we doing? <laughs> Scottsdale, Arizona, <laughs> uh, August 18th to the 21st, 2020. Uh, yeah, everybody can bring their night their their night shift tan out and surf in the middle of the desert. <laughs> it's uh, hits <laughs> K9 letter K number nine dot net. Get signed up. I think about six weeks before uh, tickets go up, or so. Be sure to uh, head on over. And if you were part of a Patreon member of ours, we gave away a free uh, pass this year too. So. Also pays to be a Patreon member because you could go for free. Well, at least the 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 uh, ticket price would be free. So yeah, 
Uh, one of our other sponsors that we're really stoked about and has been with us for a long time is Ray Allen. Raylan has been around forever, and it's not just for police dogs. It's for working dogs, pets, uh, bird dogs, gun dogs, and, of course, police dogs and sport dogs. But they have everything from leashes to handler equipment to uh, we actually do the muzzles for them, the uh, Ramtech muzzles here, uh, the working dog drag ones there. So, yeah, those are uh, fantastic. If you use the discount code Working Dog Radio. Uh, you'll get 10% off, um, and it's rayallen.com. Head on over, hit them up, order something. I'm a knee collar guy, right? I train all my dogs on knee collars, and I use, for all my working dogs, man, it's Dogtra. That's all it is, Dogtra. Uh, the, I, I maintain over and over the 1900S is the best collar on the market for police dogs. 1900S by Dogtra. It can, you can get a Molly attachment for your vest for the uh, controller, and uh, I, I love the 1900S. Ted, talk about the ball popper that you love. Oh, yeah, the ball popper and the ball popper pro. It's a popper and a dropper. You can tie multiple of them together, I think eight at a time, and it'll launch a tennis ball about waist height, and then you can load up to three to drop them. And I hide them. I actually modify them and put magnets all over them and stick them under cars, under our bus, and all kinds of stuff. We'll put them inside cars to launch tennis balls out when we're training dogs. Batteries are rechargeable on the pro, and it's got a little bit uh, shorter response time on the remote, so you get a better response from the dog and the window is much shorter in terms of the reaction from the unit but yeah i love that thing uh we gave away some of those also during our patreon giveaway uh christmas last year so and the year before that so there's some people out there that have gotten that love them so i like i like them a lot for sure yeah we have a discount code if you check them out go to dogtra.com discount code wdr10 for 10 percent off a single item over 200 dollars. dogtra.com yeah, you know, one of the sponsors has been with us since the beginning is Highland Canine out in North Carolina. It's the Pergasons, Jason and Aaron. Love those guys. Jason's actually been on the podcast before. He's an instructor at a lot of the conferences we go to. Fantastic trainer. Uh, they run a school there that accepts a VA, and they've got customers from all over the country and all over the world. Uh, they've developed programs for um, African nations, and uh, have had lots of dogs come through. Uh, they do green dogs. They do seminars. They do top-to-bottom police dogs with handler schools included. Uh, and because of that, they've got on-site living accommodations for handlers during handler schools. So top-to-bottom, front-to-back, beginning to end, they got you covered. Head over to Tactical Police Canine Training. Dot com. That's letter K number nine. And check out everything they've got going on in the seminars coming up. We actually gave away a $500 gift certificate during uh, our Christmas giveaway in 2019. So, yeah, be sure to head over. Tactical Police Canine, letter K number nine, training.com. So one of the best things that we ever have gotten on this podcast is our relationship with VetCare and their product, QuickDerm. We make no secret about it. I tell everybody um, they're like, yeah, my dog's got this going on. This this injury got cut here. Do that. I'm like, get Quick Derm by Vet Care. It's it's like magic elixir. It really is. It's crazy how good it works and how fast it is as advertised. It's one of my uh, favorite relationships that we have. Quick Derm by Vet Care. Um, Ted, I know you use it on yourself. I think. Yeah, I got nuked by a dog last year and had to get some stitches, but it definitely helped clean it up. Uh, in fact, you have a buddy that's up close mm-hmm. to you that owns a. Uh, pet business that had a dog come in that he used it on to keep this dog the the problem from getting worse that the owner didn't realize had that had the dog had when he got dropped off uh which is kind of what this stuff's about it prevents little things from becoming big problems so you know dogs cut themselves especially working dogs you know stuff gets stuck in their paw happy tails another common one um they get their muzzles all torn up and stuff from dealing with uh crates and kennels it's super easy to apply 
works really well. You only have to do it once a day. It's not like rocket science. So yeah, head over to vetcare.us and use the discount code 10WDR for a 10% off discount off your first order. Speaking of easy, that's why I like vetcare. But also easy is Horizon Structures. We get information uh, passed to us all the time and questions passed to us all the time about, oh, what's the best kennel to use? Do you use this? Do you use you know, these pre-made panels, whatever else? If you're going to invest the money to create a commercial, whether it's the police side or whatever, invest the money in Horizon Structures. It's literally like plug and play. So you have the pad set up, you tie it into sewer and water, they show up with a flatbed truck, they drop that sucker off and it's plugged in. You can put dogs in it an hour after they leave. It's fantastic. Eric, what do you think of those things? I, I tell you this. I remember you built that uh, that one kennel oh, yeah. that you had. Shouldn't I guarantee there, yeah. you, if you knew the Horizon Structures was available, you'd have just done that. It's I can't, um, I'm looking everywhere for a kennel, and there's just never, anything's not perfect. You know, it's just not working out for me. So I'm trying to find a, a good spot where I can get Horizon Structures. I've been on their website, horizonstructures.com, went through everything, looked at their tutorials, looked at their videos, Um Dude, it's you drop it, put dogs in it. So how simple is that? It's amazing. They have financing available, everything, horizonstructures.com. Yeah, and it's custom. You can literally do yes. whatever you want. Like from insane, from mild to wild, insane to normal. I mean, anything you want. But yeah, horizonstructures.com. Hit them up. All right, we're back. Um, at our Q&A 2.0 session here. We left off... Um, before those great commercials with all of our great uh, sponsors. We love you guys, all of you. Great discount codes in there. Make sure, because I know you guys hit the 30-second fast-forward button about six times to get through all those. Uh, go back, take a look at them, look in the show notes, and there's a lot of information on there. Yep. Um, so we had a question from Jordan Kerr about uh, e-collar on single-purpose detection dogs. Yeah, um, I'll do it. Um, a lot of times our guys will do, uh, especially in states like Arkansas um, and states that have mandatory obedience certifications, um, we use the e-collars for off-leash obedience. And it does depend, too, on how you're going to be using it. Uh, if you're going to be using it in kind of the way like Barbalon, like that whole Neopopo system, um, you know, e-collar is not just necessarily a brake pedal or a brake. It can also be a gas pedal. Um, you know, Yoris and Justin Rigney and Pat Stu and all those guys. Um, talk about that. Um, I use it that way for some of the dogs that are young, if they're able to handle it. And then, you know, other people do use it for straight up compulsion. So I'm kind of like Eric, I don't believe in doing a ton of like obedience compulsion wise. Um, like, you know, especially with, um, a single purpose dog. Um, typically those dogs aren't searching off lead. Um, the explosive dogs will, and then you get into, like at obedience at distance, like some of the Pat Nolan stuff, which that's a definitely a e-collar situation, but the, the first time handler is not going to be running one of those dogs. But as a first time handler, um, the best advice I can give you with an e-collar is timing is of such importance with which actually the next question is about that. Timing is such a huge issue um, in training, whether it's rewarding a dog or whether it's correcting a dog. And a first-time handler, you know, I wouldn't let you run an e-collar for the first three or four weeks you're with me. Um, we almost have to anticipate the dog making a mistake before of a known proof behavior before we're ready to correct them. And that takes a ton of time to be able to recognize that. So as a first-time handler, I would say, you know, go ahead and have one. You can just put it on the dog and just let him get used to wearing it, taking it on and off, whatever else. But um, I would use it mainly for obedience. Um, especially since you're using it for narcotics, um, you're not really, I mean, I assume 
uh, the vendor you're getting the dog from is going to be a passive alert. But I mean, you know, typically it's, it's, we don't use it for anything other than I use it for obedience and I'll use it for outing. Um, with patrol dogs, there are two behaviors that I will absolutely force. Um, and some people are going to listen to this and be appalled or whatever. I don't care. Um, I teach a motivational recall and I teach a motivational down in motion, um, for a dog, like a send out and an automatic down. And then I will layer a force on top of it so that I have a hundred percent down in motion and a recall, um, on a dog that's off leash a hundred percent of the time. I will do that with every patrol dog that leaves the kennel. And it's kind of one of those, I don't, we build the price of an e-collar into the end of the dog and it goes out with them. We do the 1900S hands-free now. And that's what goes out with every dog, every patrol dog for a force recall and a force down in motion. So we send the dog, dog name plots, drop him in motion right then and right there. No problem. But that's all I use it for. Well, that's not really a single purpose, but I mean, that's how we use it at the kennel. All right. So what kind of payment technique would you use to pay a dog? Oh, this is from Christopher Bridges. Uh, another one of our Patreon subscribers. What kind of payment technique would you use to pay a dog doing field search with explosive dog if you do not have a popper? I've thought about moving to marker training for it, but is there another option? Uh, this is a fairly complex answer. Um, so when you we start talking about a popper, the very first question we had in this episode was, you know, what is some out of the box ways to use a popper? So the trick here is that poppers are for direct reward. Well, in their traditional use, they're for direct reward um, of reward at odor. Um, on a lot of the explosive dogs, uh, people are moving to indirect reward where the reward comes at the handler, which is a marker training. If you guys listened to the last episode, we just put up with Dave Croyer. We talked about that a little bit. Dog goes to odor. They give us the desired behavior, which is what we call obedience at odor, not obedience to odor. You mark the dog returns the handler for the reward, which is typically how it's done. And that's what Christopher is asking here. Um, in terms of how you reward in a field search, which I assume he means off lead, um, where the dog is kind of out doing like an area search for odor, um, or doing like a route clearance or something. The way that I would do it, if you're not going to go to marker training is to start incorporate, incorporating variable reward schedules for everybody listening for narcotics and for explosives. You, sh if you're doing, if it's a mature dog and they understand what's going on, um, I typically do it after the certification of the dog the first time, uh, whether it's for a national or a state or both, um, variable reward schedule. What I mean by variable reward schedule is you vary the reward on odor so they don't get rewarded every single time. And there's various reasons for that. And then the reward comes from other places. So in an actual search, um, in a field search such as Christopher brings up, instead of rewarding the dog at odor, once every four or six or however many times, whatever it is, you just recall the dog to you and just keep moving. So, which I know breaks the cardinal rule of you always reward every single time, but once the dog has got it down, like it's a pretty straightforward thing. And actually it ends up building more hunt desire and you'll see, and Eric and I talk, what was that? The tracking one where we pick up a hot track and then you pick the dog up and put them back on the same odor down. Yeah. Um, same, Margo same principle. The search and rescue yeah. San Bernardino County. That's the way they do it. Yeah. So same principle. So if you're not going to incorporate a marker training where you're doing obedience at odor, not or yeah, obedience uh, at odor, not to odor, then I would move to a variable reward schedule, which you should be doing anyway. Um, like I don't want my handlers bouncing tennis balls off cars on the interstate. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> so so let, we'll, let's kind of expound on that part a little bit because it right. can be it's a, it's an argument and it's, and it's a bit of a controversy in the thing. So the indirect re- reward where the dog is um, mark is that is that odor at source. Either sitting and staring, pointing, whatever he does, he's waiting for Making the a martini. Right, waiting for the marker, which um, he then comes back to the handler for a uh, food ball, tug, whatever it is, ball on a rope, whatever it is, for your reward. Um, and then there's the others that uh, reward throw a ball, Kong, whatever it is, at source. Um, the argument against that is. Oh, I wouldn't want to throw my tennis ball at a bomb. Right. So to shut that stupid argument down is we reward in training and we don't reward on the street. If you're a police dog handler with an explosive detection dog and your dog alerts on something for real in the field, get the fuck out of there. Just get your dog and pull him back and know you will not ruin him. So when I worked for um, a company that had a, a military contract. Uh, I don't want to <laughs> piss people off. So I worked for Cobra Canine and was assigned to work for the Navy through Cobra Canine. Um, Make sure we get that very precise. Yeah, I don't, I don't want any text messages. Um, Again. So um, what we did was a training we rewarded. We rewarded a training. Um, but overseas... They get the fuck out, get, get back, get the ball, get the dog out, get him back, 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 back to you. And then however, they're going to handle it from there. Um, so that's my argument against that. But then the counter argument that I've heard to my argument is if you reward with a bouncy ball at training, you, your dog's instinct is to, cause the, if it's a field, if it's a field reward, the ball, cause everybody wants to get it out in front of the dog goes over the odor. So then you're, you're kind of conditioning your dog to when they hear the break or when they think it's time to get rewarded, they'll, they'll move forward and jump. And then they'll ultimately do that um, in the field. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I, I, don't, I haven't messed with that um, to pay attention to, to see if that's a thing. Um, if, they're, if you're working obedience at odor, they should probably stay there and be confused when you call them back. Yeah. Um, or, or, you know, if you do it enough, it should happen pretty naturally. But th- those are, that's the whole big argument. You can, you can reward directly on explosive dog in training. And right. Just don't do it in the field. The one thing, too, that um, I want to talk about with marker training, and I think we covered it in the last episode, um, it requires um, – we do – on narcotics dogs at the kennel, we do um, direct reward. It's much easier to maintain. Your mm-hmm. timing doesn't have to be near as good. Your reward placement doesn't necessarily doesn't have to be near as good. So, I you know if if there's dog trainers listening to this, uh, and there's also handlers listening to this, so dog trainers have this conversation all the time. Direct reward versus indirect reward. Blah 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 blah. I cannot teach a handler in two, four, six, or sixteen or twenty six weeks the amount of timing that I have from the past fifteen years or whatever. And I can't teach them that. And, you know, the younger generation handlers like the millennials are better because they played a lot of video games. They pick it up better. But indirect reward requires very, very good timing over a long period of time. And that is much more difficult to maintain and much more difficult to teach. Yeah. 
Now, having said that, I do plan on getting with. That's not someone peeing. That's, that's Sean, Sean pouring rum. Pouring rum. <laughs> it's, it's like fucking one o'clock in the afternoon, <laughs> um, or five o'clock. But anyways, I I am gonna hit up like Rigney or somebody, and go on go see somebody and learn the. You know, I'm pretty familiar with marker training, but how they do it. Because it does, I, the indirect reward is pretty impressive. I, yeah, I do like absolutely. It. There's a guy in Ohio named John Mary, uh, has a company called Mary Canine Services, and yeah. um, I've I've trained with some of his dogs at, from my old place, and they're good. Their indirect reward is good. He does nice work with them. Yeah. So I I'm, I might just go see John and, and learn. And John has been doing this less time than I have, but what he's doing is good. So it doesn't matter that it's been less time than I, I can go learn from him because he's been doing that longer than I have. Yeah. You hear and if me? you see his video, it's Mary Canine Services. Yeah. You, you guys yeah. listen to what I'm telling you. It's okay mm-hmm. for you to learn from somebody who's been doing the job less time than you have, um, especially cops. Seniority is a weird thing. I love seniority. I'm all about it. But uh, it doesn't mean you can't learn from some guys that have been doing it for just a little bit less than you. So shout out to John Mary. He, yeah. his, his, if you uh, watch his videos, it's super impressive. I just reserted one of his dogs Friday. Um, nice dog, real nice dog. Uh, guy's got like 11 street bites. He dog, he's, I would have stole him if he was, wasn't watching me so closely. Um, all right, so move on to the next one. Um, actually, we'll, we'll skip one and we'll jump to this, uh, this one because, yeah, this one is kind of similar. What approaches do you guys like for fixing frequent false alerts during dope searches and training besides not causing them in the first place? Uh, I'm leery of compulsion and detection work, but a little bit okay, question mark. Uh, lots of blanks, question marks. Ignore and wait them out. Thanks, gents. Okay, so let's start. Well, you want to start? No, go ahead. Okay, let's start with what we want to say and don't say. Um so I don't ever use the term false alert anymore. Um, after Florida versus Harris, we don't have to. Um, everybody stop fucking saying it. Don't ever hear it. If you're an attorney listening to this, nobody says that anymore. And if you use it, God, I hope to God somebody fucking rends it up your ass. So what does it actually mean? Um, it's called solicitation. And it is happening for a myriad of reasons, depending on the development of the dog, where they're at in the program, and depending on what's going on. It can be... Uh, from confusion on the dog's part, from conflict. It can be from lack of desire to hunt. Um, It can be from cueing from the handler. It can be from any number of things. Essentially, what we're talking about is a dog giving us a trained final response, their TFR, whether it's their sit, the stare, they make a martini, I don't care. They pull out a band, they pull out a guitar, play in a mariachi band, whatever it is, their final response, and they are not on odor. Right. They're just soliciting like, well, fuck it. I'm going to give up. I'm just going to sit here. And it can happen for a myriad and multitude of reasons. During my handler schools, I teach um, some pretty significant case law. U.S. versus place talks about um, a change of behavior um, and talks about there only being um, odor present to um, establish probable cause. You don't actually have to have the presence of narcotics. Uh, You just have to have the presence of odor. Uh, to have it. And everybody knows you can have odor and there not be anything there. So during the entire process, and this is why I make guys in my handler schools use a long leash to look at the dog. Before we have a legitimate final response, we always have changes in behavior. Those changes in behavior are enough to establish probable cause, but you have to be able to articulate what they are. If a dog is soliciting, 
there will be no noticeable changes in behavior to the handler that's experienced handling that dog, which is one way to tell, right? So for example, um, one of the dogs I just delivered to a department in Missouri, dog's name's Loki. Um, Loki, when he's searching a car and he does kind of his cursory go by real fast, there's not a lot of odor. He's kind of looking for something to hit him in the face. One thing that he'll do as soon as he passes odor, he will give a super hard head snap and he will start doing what I call bracketing, which is going, he's playing the hot, cold game basically, right? Hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, going back and forth where he's getting into odor and out and into odor and out and into odor and out. And he's doing this very quickly. As he starts pinpointing it, his tail will stop wagging. He will lean forward on his front feet. He will close his mouth and he will start to inhale deeply. You can hear him, you know, you can hear him breathing in and out, in and out very, very, very fast. He will actually lick the car sometimes. Um, and when he starts getting really Hagner close. does that too. Yeah, Hagner, He'll lick anything though. So um, <laughs> if it, he'll start to the lick. The car is a euphemism, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and if it's, if it's available, if it's a deep find, um, he will start to get as low as possible or and try to get as close as possible by sticking his head in wheel wells. And I'm talking about cars here. Um, if it's a high find, he won't sit. Um, he will get as high as he can, and he will try and put his nose on it. And then if he's able to do both put his nose on it and sit, he will. Um, if he can't, he will get as close as possible and still try to put his nose on it, but he will stop moving. But the, all of those things have to happen before he gives me his sit and stare. Um, I have another dog that's a pointer that he points when he gets the odor. He literally freezes up. His tail stops moving. Like, he, he becomes a statue. And which is very telling because the rest of the time the dog is on fucking crack. The dog is just, and he doesn't stop moving ever. Like his tail's constantly wagging. He's dancing around in his front feet. So, uh, you know, I, we saw, I watched the dog certify one time in Oklahoma and the dog literally would get happy feet. Like he would bounce back and forth on his front feet. Like he would move, he would shift his weight back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, which was a precursor to him alert to giving his final alert. So, when we start talking about falsing or quote unquote falsing and then what I call soliciting, you have to have those changes of behavior before you get a false alert. Now, when, or when you get a legitimate alert now, how do we fix the dog that solicits? Cattle prod. <laughs> yeah. I, I too am not very big on doing corrections during, um, odor work. Um, I will with explosive dogs that get close to odor. Um, I will correct that. Um, in a certain phase of their training, like if they get close enough to odor, I will correct them for getting close to it. Um, outside of that, I don't. Um, and with, depending on where the dog's at in their development, we'll wait them out. If I can, because at this point I know where the odor is. So I'm not doing blind finds during training because I'm working on changes of behavior. I'm working on a train final response. So I know where the odor's at and I'm building a catalog for the dog of highly productive areas. So when we start talking about how to fix it, a dog or in early stages, it's too complex of a problem for them if they start to solicit um, or it's a selection problem. The dog doesn't have enough drive to maintain um, those longer searches or he hasn't been exposed to a longer search or it's hidden in an area that he's never been exposed to before or it's an odor threshold that he's not used to. It's super lot of odor or a very, very, very minute amount of odor also can cause those things to can, can cause what we would call a solicitation. Um, one of the things I do, yeah. um, 
So the way I, when I imprint, I use the boxes, right? Mm -hmm. um, where I'll hand feed through the box or reward uh, in the beginning. Working on, I like a stare. I like a dog to sit and stare at the odor. So I work on that. And then um, uh, eventually at some point, um, I have uh, doing off-leash searches in a building, uh, in a room. I'll do a fake ball bounce into the raw ball bounce into the room, come out, show them empty hands, unhook. The dog will go in there and there may be 10, eight or 10 boxes in a various pattern across the room. And like maybe two of them have uh, odor in them. Um, the rest are uh, blank or have a ball or a toy or, you know, some other anomalous odor. Um, maybe I have a ball popper or one that is a wooden box that I'm going to hand reward from. But um, you'll see dogs every once in a while that'll go in there and, and solicit. They'll, they'll, there's like 10, maybe 10 or 12 boxes, right? They, they search the same two or three of them. Um, they come back, they go around, they're over here. Of course, they always miss. <laughs> they never go to the fucking box where the odor is. Yeah. They, they just, they keep making the wrong decisions and going. But what will happen is they'll get frustrated and they'll solicit. And I always tell, if it's the handler there with them, I go, if your dog sits at any other box, we're not going to say a word. We're just going to stand there and wait. And he and the dog will sit, and then you'll see him start to shake, like his legs start to shake, 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 and then fucking get up and walk off. Nice try. And then the key is for me is when they then go over to the hot box that they get rewarded immediately. As soon as their ass touches, boom. You, after a couple of those, you'll see that, that um, solicitation stop. Yeah. They just realize I couldn't fool him. This is the only time I'm getting paid is with this odor. I might as well give it up on the rest of it. And it's, it, the waiting out game is very strong. It works very well. Yeah, and one other similar thing to that is when, um, you know, a lot of times, and we talk about this at the HRD seminars, even though it's not detection-based, um, dogs get into habits, right? So how many people listening to this go to the same fucking tow yard, the same area, they do the same three fucking finds. Like the dogs know where the fucking odor is. I mean, they've searched it every training for the last four years, right? And you guys put the same amount out in the same fucking place, right? And so the dogs literally run to that door seam and they don't even fucking sniff, they just sit down. And so when a bulk of my detection training is teaching, um, I build their catalog of what I call highly productive areas or areas where they're likely to be successful on vehicles or depending on what the dog is explosives or whatever, but building that catalog in their mind of where it's, um, of where they're likely to find, um, those list of odors in their little dog brains. So I will use that. And which is why during training, I net like at the beginning, very beginning stages of vehicles, I'll, I'll put odor on door handles. But God bless, after that... Almost it, never. Yeah. Never. Because every fucking find, every dog, narcotics dog, has several... If they're, if they're being run at all, and they're being run well, will have alerts on door handles. Mm -hmm. Because dickheads touch stuff, and then they touch their door handle. And the transfer is enough to create an alert, or to create a change of behavior and an alert. And they're always successful there. So I don't ever have to reinforce that. So we start looking at where... Um, I have some friends that are um, in a state task force, um, here in, or well in Oklahoma, um, and a couple of other States. And, um, I get kind of information on where, um, 
people are hiding stuff and I'm like, Oh, that's novel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to try that. And I have access to tractor trailers and stuff at our kennel, the lot that we're, that we share. So we do a lot of stuff like that where we hide them in unusual areas and places. Um, and then we, you know, continue to build the dog's catalog throughout their entire career. But I will make sure that an area that is always highly productive for them is always clean or has had odor fairly recently. And it's, it's been long enough that there's not going to be any residual. Uh, and then you'll see them like, you'll see them show interest in that area because they're looking right. Showing interest is not a change of behavior. All they're doing is checking, right? Like they're just kind of like, Oh, it's been here in the past. It's a smell you know, you see it be like mass shit. And then they'll take off again. So, we want them to know, like Eric just said, that it's odor that creates a reward, not the specific area. We mm-hmm. teach them the specific area to look in to find the odor that is highly likely to be there that will initiate the reward. I'll tell you, and I don't know if I, I'm going to throw it out here. I, I think I've had, I haven't really documented enough to see if it's actually super helpful with this question is one of the things I do is I go after a while I'll go to scented Q-tip heads or uh, small yeah. cotton balls. And then I've seen the solicitation dramatically drop with that because after a couple of those, the dog realizes they really got to hunt. Like right. really keep looking. Just keep looking. You'll find it. It's there. It's so just not a lot of it. We use cotton balls. I use Q-tips. Mm. I use toothpicks. And I use those little garage sale stickers. So once I want to start teaching a dog to really fucking detail, um, once they've learned a lot of stuff, I will start. And um, Scott calls it low or threshold, which mm-hmm. I'm sure if you listen to Cameron, I'm sure he's talked about it at the talking sense. Uh, if you really want like to get super in depth with some of this stuff, go listen to that podcast. Cameron does a great job, but like they get way deep on some of it. But um yeah, Q-tip has, or I mean, uh, toothpick has the least amount, then Q-tip, then uh, the cotton ball. Uh, and cotton balls um, are, they, they lose their odor. They, they dissipate it or they, they put it off fairly quickly. Cotton ball, or Q-tips and, and, Q-t- and uh, toothpicks, wooden toothpicks, I guess I should be specific, wooden toothpicks uh, are the, you know, hold on to it for quite a bit longer, uh, but still are definitely they have to get damn near on top of it like they have Mm -hmm. to detail 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 to get it one of these episodes i'll tell you a story about a a handler class a a green dog green handler class i imprinted i trained the entire class on q-tip heads oh my god (laughs) tyler's got he's wearing a thong he just walked through here Uh, anyways um and for those listening yes i proof off of q-tips i proof off of I proof off of all that shit that I know is clean. I always have it out. In fact, in, if you see the videos from Torchlight, all those Dutch boxes, um, some of the Dutch boxes have clean cotton balls, clean Q-tips, clean plastic bags, clean mm-hmm. rubber gloves, clean all they have air freshener shit in them. So they're exposed to anomalous odor from the beginning during the imprinting phases too. Here's also on the low uh, odor threshold part. Um, if you use, if you imprint your dogs with scent logics. Which I do. I do some dogs with it. I like Scent Logics. Um, it works pretty well for me. Cameron did a whole episode on it where there was a research project on it. It's good stuff. One of the keys, though, for Scent Logics is um, take you know in the container, the jar, wherever it is you keep your Scent Logics. Put some Q-tips or some cotton balls in there, and then before you switch over to quote unquote live odor, go do low odor thresholds with Scent Logics scented 
stuff. It's an easier transition. ScentLogix is a massive amount of odor. Each little bag. If you use it, you know what I'm talking and about. And I, yeah, and Adabin Bay, we asked him this, and, and when we interviewed him, hits to your, or, yeah, and where the hell were we? Maryland. And when he was on, and I've asked him in person, and he's always like fucking vague about it. And I don't, maybe he's answered it, and I haven't seen it or heard it. But when you ask him, you know, like what is equi- like, you know, what is scent logic equivalent to? Because that's something yeah. that everybody wants to know. You know, like you know, explosive handlers and narcotics handlers, everybody wants to know. What is real? Well, <laughs> fuck it. No, we're not getting that conversation. But I, you know, it's like, so what is this amount equivalent to? And he says all odor. And I'm like, well, I don't understand how. And which it's, I'm it's, under- I think it's equivalent to a lot. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, you know, like I've said in the past, it's never been a question of efficacy for me, but I just want to know. Like, mm-hmm. how do I manipulate the thresholds with that stuff? And I do what you do. Like, if we use it for some of the HME, I'll use it because uh, it's dangerous and I don't want to blow my dick off. So I use Q-tips and cotton balls and that kind of stuff. Um, I'll use tongue depressors too, which are another version of the wooden stuff. But anyway. All right, that's uh, enough of that. You want to yeah. read the last one? Yeah, so Dan Root, um, he had a dog not engaged on a sleeping burglar during, a quote-unquote sleeping, during a building search. Uh, they do a ton of passive bite work during training days, but any tips uh, to help with that? Well, for, it doesn't say ton, so we'll, first of all, we'll talk about that part there. Um, so first of all, Dan, think back. Does your dog have any other failures to engage on the street? If your dog has several failures to engage, uh, they're probably just not about that life. They're just uh, possibly, I mean... Tuco, a dog that we have in Canton that replaced Jethro when he got killed, had like four or five failures to engage when he first came out. And almost all those were were Ryan's fault, the way he was deploying it. I'm not talking out of school. He knows this. But now Tuco's a fucking murderer. He's, he's you know, he bites people. So um, for him, it was just just the way that everything was done. Um, Ryan was doing it out of the norm and Tuco was just confused. But anyways, um, so here's, here's how I teach passive alert bites. It all goes back to target and grip, target, 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 target. We teach the tricep, the bicep, the forearm, and the um, permissible parts of the leg and the ass. Um, we don't specifically teach the chest, neck, obviously, face, head, feet, hands, um, and dick. Yeah. Um, all red areas. You guys, you cops all know, you see the little little things, the red areas. That's a whole nother discussion. Oh, speaking of which, did you see that dickhead STR Garcia from the fucking Schnauzer goofball on his Instagram live video from fucking SHOT Show said that his dog's target dick? Yeah. And he's trying to, he's trying to sell uh, prison dogs. Yeah, the fucking idiot. You bite a prisoner in the dick, the judges don't like that. No. They're already telling people don't bite people with dogs in the jails. Right. Um, but anyways. Sorry. Go ahead. Um, so target, 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 target. Then once it's automatic, it's robotic for the dog to come in and they, they just come in dark room, whatever, no matter what, and blast whatever the first thing they want or permissible places. Right. Um, we just teach it over and over and over again. Right. So it becomes automatic. So there, there is no choice paralysis. There's no choice for the dog to make. They come in, their fucking eyes are crossed and they just hit and they hit better. They hit harder and they hit with more enthusiasm. Then we take away targets like 
the Blair Witch. We have our guy stand in the corner, facing into the corner with his arms so that the dog can't get to it. And guess what? They come in and they blast like that back of the shoulder or they blast the legs or the ass and it's automatic, right? Over and over again. And then 95% of the bites we do in training and maintenance training are still persons. Right. So it becomes automatic when they come in and they see the human form, they see the human shape, they bite it. So you might be doing some passive work. Well, talk about what passive really means. Well, hold on. You might be yeah. doing, well, we will, but you, we might be, you might be doing a lot of passive or some passive work at your training, but your foundation isn't good. Everything back chains to a back tie, everything back to a table, back to the back tie, everything target, 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 and then get them back on the bungee. And you're like, well, that's not, that's not a still person. You're, I'm telling you it's building blocks. Go back to that. Then get to the passive with the uh, hidden sleeves. If you can, if you got a guy that's brave enough or with the muzzles passive um, for us, passive is passive dead weight. If you can, if you can get a guy that, that can dead prey a dog, um, but guys will say passive and they, they move. They're not passive. And passive doesn't mean a bunch of agitation beforehand and right. then going limp. No, right. Just hide your guy. Tell him to go in there, hide, and don't fucking move. The easiest way to do it to, keep, to help keep the, uh, the decoy from presenting or, or anticipating and moving is to make him look the other direction so he can't see. And if you have to, put headphones on him with music on it. I've had to do that before. Yeah. So that it should be, a, if it's a truly a surprise to the decoy when he gets bit, you're, it's, it's the best training. It's, it's the best. We haven't, I don't think we've, we haven't done that in HRD because our decoys are really, really good at it. But um, dead weight too, dead weight. So um, it's, and that's hard. It's hard for a decoy to be a limp rag doll and um, get ripped around by the dog. It, it's hard not to tense up. It really is. Um, but. Uh, so and, you, and it, that, that goes back to like what I was saying in the first question about um, being taught by somebody who knows what the fuck is going on. So when we talk about decoying, you know, we're reinforcing some behaviors. When Eric is talking about dead weight, when that dog is biting and he's biting correctly, you're not doing anything. You're not reinforcing and you're not correcting poor for, poor, poor behavior. And you know, you have to understand what you're correcting and or not reinforcing or reinforcing either through positive punishment or through positive reinforcement as a decoy. And that makes a massive difference in engagement and staying engaged on a yeah. completely passive person. Yeah, we want the, guy, the dog to come in and go, I don't need you, Mr. Decoy, to satisfy me. I'm going to do it myself Yeah, by... Ripping your fucking arm off if I can, right. or feeding on you, breaking your wrist, yeah, uh, <laughs> whatever. But, um, so that's what I would say is you might be doing passive, but look and see what kind of passive you're doing, and then take a look at how much. And if, uh, make sure you're using bite suits and not sleeves, um, unless it's a hidden sleeve, um, and go back to so that the dog comes in. And no matter what, they know that that person is a permissible target and permissible to bite. 
yep. at all times. One of the ways to fix it, so say you have this, right? And say you've got a fairly young dog, say he's two or three years old, and it's his first engagement and he flubs it because it's a passive person. How do you fix it? For whatever reason, I call it the rule of three or the rule of fives. Um, and it is three or five successive bites back to back to, and I mean back to back to back. And I'm talking easy fucking like super easy bites. So if you got access to a hallway or building, you make an announcement at the door, the decoy then makes noise. So it's effectively a hot building search. He sees the decoy. The dog sees him. He knows where he's at. You send the dog, he comes in and the decoy is moving around. He bites, he's reinforcing everything. He's, you know, the dog goes in and it's just a super easy fucking puppy shit. Handler runs in, pops the dog off, moves out. Decoy stays in that position. Make one announcement again, and we're talking 10 seconds max because they're goldfish. And send the dog, and the decoy is moving, no vocalization. And I mean moving, just kind of rocking back and forth. He continues to move. He continues to move. He does a little bit of here and there. He doesn't really do a whole lot of reinforcing proper behavior. And then the next one, if you have access, I sit down in the hallway with my arm, my tricep and my arm presented, um, either in a chair, I'll just sit down in the hallway and just sit in the exact same position, same thing, send the dog in and the decoy is sitting there. He's not moving. He's not reinforcing any behavior. And the dog comes, should come in and blast him right then. And multiple sessions of that over and over and over again. Um, and then increasing the time between the bites, but having the decoy in the same location, sort of what we were just talking about with, um, the odor, uh, tends to help that and then getting rid of visible equipment going to a hidden sleeve um, and, you know, protecting your decoy, of course, but tends to also help with that engagement. So if we take away choice paralysis and we, um, and then we didn't even talk about active aggression, which is the thing that Justin preaches all the time, Justin Rigney, um, where the dog is not waiting for confirmation from a decoy. Um, I see it a lot where, the dogs will come in and they're waiting for, and this is a fucking pet peeve of mine where decoys, like I have guys tell me all the time that eye contact is supposedly going to force the dog into defense. So when the dog runs in, he's looking for permission to bite. So he's found the decoy. He's found, he's found the person and he's waiting for confirmation via vocalization or movement or something to show the, to show the dog that he's correct. And that is not, that is a reactive Action, that is not an active action. That is not active aggression. That dog is going to wait for permission to bite. And um, I see it a lot with um, very young dogs that have been kind of done, you know, the been decoyed by dudes that look like those fucking car dealership blow-up doll things that, you know, flop around like mm -hmm. the little string man, like decoy dudes that do that all the time, and they square up and they pop a whip 9,000 fucking times, and then they're like, hey, fuck you, dog, and whatever else. No. So, I mean, if you watch uh, a lot of videos of myself and Josh and like Hagner doing decoy work, we're not usually saying anything. We're not moving a ton. Um, I move very rarely. Um, and when I do, it's not fast movements. Um, and it makes it much, much easier to create that forward active aggression where, you know, once we make a building announcement, all I have to do, I don't have to say Stellan, it's a foregone conclusion. He's going to go in and fucking blast whatever it is that's in there. And a lot of our guys are very, all of my dogs are very successful on passive bites. In fact, the last couple from Chad and from Kyle have all been dudes that are just been laying there. And make sure your dog is comfortable working away from you. Uh, yeah, that's also, yeah, we see that a ton. That's extremely important. I've seen the dogs go into the room, see the guy, come back out, look at the handler, and then go back in and bite. I'm like, 
hmm, we have a little problem. Right. And it's you. So, <laughs> yeah. um, anyways, that's it, man. That's all the questions. We, we kind of went off on the weeds on a couple of those, but um, we felt that there's some things that tied in on that. Uh, we might do these every so often. Um, you know, we like having guests, but it's nice when we get a chance to get together uh, at an HRD event just to, if we don't have guests, just to sit down and go over some things. We do have a lot of experience at this thing, this stuff. Um, some of the things I've echoed about, you know, you hear choice paralysis and thing is a term that I learned from Bradshaw. I didn't make yeah. that up. Um, he, uh, I don't know if he invented it, him and Siggins, but uh, I use it. I use it all the time because it's fucking perfect. So shout out to uh, yeah, Jerry. Jerry, Gerald. <laughs> Gerard. 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 Not Gerald. Gerard. No. Gerard and... Um, and Sean over down there in uh, North Carolina. Oh, hey, I know what I want to say. Back up real quick to the um, the uh, solicitation dogs. So oh, yeah. Jason Ferguson was the first person that taught me this. I've sat through some of his classes and I've talked to him at length about it. He no longer, I don't know if he invented this or this is something he came up with or learned it from somebody. He no longer puts a final train final response in oh, yeah. his dogs. Um, what he does is all his dogs are... I think pretty much most of them through the use of the ball popper stare at the odor. Right. So, um, the reason being for, uh, a lot of that is the dog cannot, uh, fake its natural change of behavior. When, when it's imprinted and the dog knows the odor, they can't fake that. If you get a dog that, um, can fake stuff like knows how to, f what? Fake a, you have Scooby-Doo is what you have. Right, yeah. So um, I've done it on a couple dogs and I actually really liked it. Not one solicitation during the entire training process. Not one. And um, and it's because, so it, what I end up doing with them is whatever they naturally do, when they find the owner, I let them kind of decide that. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's and then, then that's a reward. So I did a bomb dog for my buddy uh, Scott and... She would head snap, back up, go forward, back up, turn and look at you, and go forward and point. She came up with that on her own, never, ever solicited once during all the training. And it was so unbelievably obvious where the odor was. And there's, that's not something, it just happened. That's the way it occurred. Now, m most dogs, if you, especially the GSPs, they'll just point. You don't have to teach that's them that. That's what Ranger, or whatever his name is, the dog that we sold, that we raised, yeah, he, yeah. he'll point like he... We, well, I had a state certifier watching him one day, and he was like, well, he doesn't sit. I'm like, well, fuck, how much more obvious do you want it to be? He's a fucking pointer. It's in the name. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, how? Like, <laughs> yeah. People like, well, how? what's your dog's final response? Well, you tell me where it's at. And then I run him. They're like, oh, fuck, I guess it's right there. Yeah. So um, anyways, that's something for you to think about. Uh, if you guys are trainers in, in starting, um, check, check in with... Jason down at Highland Canine, uh, if you get a chance to go through his classes at all, at uh, he'll be at um, Blue Line teaching. Oh, I guarantee yeah. he talks about it. Yeah, what's he um, teaching? Something with odor. Yeah. But he's good at that stuff. We're going to so. be there doing our... Um, Cussing. And yeah, this. So. New jokes, though. So yeah. if you saw it last year, it'll be different. Uh, probably not. <laughs> Knowing Ted, probably not. <laughs> like he's got, doesn't have, a, you don't have a new category or catalog of sayings. Oh, oh, I do believe me. No, oh, oh, yes, I do. You threw one on me. You threw one on me one time that nobody had heard. The, uh, 
the one you couldn't that dog wouldn't break a grape in a food fight uh, yeah <laughs> and I, I looked at guy i looked at your intern josh was there and sean i go you ever heard him say that and they're like no and they spend a lot of time with you so that came out of your ass i don't know why that was wrong but. so anyways what uh, anything where can people find you at uh, uh on instagram uh ted underscore summers and then um Working or well, uh, yeah, working underscore dog underscore radio, um, and then torchlight canine letter K number nine. Uh, what about you? Um, we have the Patreon page, working oh, yeah. dog radio on patreon.com. Um, and then I'm at Vanas Canine on Instagram, Vanas Canine Academy on Facebook, and Vanas Doggy Daycare if you like cute little doggy pictures. Um, if you're like bummed out, you know, for whatever reason, you're you're yeah you're upset that yeah i own pornhub that's another one right um if you're you know if you're upset that epstein killed himself uh you can you can uh you can just go to vanis doggy daycare and look at cute puppies and dogs at at my daycare um other than that thanks man good times thanks for the questions guys we really appreciate it yeah hopefully we helped yep see everybody soon one of the groups that's been with us since the beginning are the guys from Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, that also host the Bravo 3 conference. Uh, that is Tripwire Operations Group. They have tons of stuff that goes boom, and they are a fantastic training facility for explosives and training of everything related to it for America's first responders, not just for police and military, but also for first responders. So head over to tripwireops.com to hit them up and see what classes they got going on. Um, and then be sure to come and see Eric and I at Bravo 3 this year in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania in October. So our very first sponsor on the podcast was Arno out at uh, ALM Suits and Canine Equipment. Uh, the other day on a Facebook group, uh, somebody asked on there, what's what's the best hidden sleeve on the market? Uh, without a doubt, it is ALM's hidden sleeve. There's probably 10, 15 people on that post and they got in there, ALM, ALM, ALM. It is so easy. His stuff is so good. Arno's a good dude, man. If you get a hold of him, that's the guy answering the phone. That's the guy doing all the work. ALMK9Equipment.com. I have a suit from there. Best hugs on the market. Not even close. The best hugs on the market and the best hidden sleeve. Hit up Arno, ALMK9Equipment.com. Be sure to use the discount code WDRADIO. That's all capitals for 10% off your first order. You know, one of the things about this podcast that everybody mentions that they love is the intro and exit music. And it was kind of a uh, big deal when we started the podcast to have that. And I want to say thank you personally to Brother Deeg, um, who is the artist and has graciously allowed us to use this music. And everybody be sure to head over to Brother Deeg, D-E-G-E dot net. Uh, buy a T-shirt or go to Spotify or Apple iTunes or wherever and stream his music or go and buy some. Um, he's on tour all the time. He plays Tulsa frequently. Um, I love to see him when he's here. Uh, fantastically talented artist from Louisiana uh, and has graciously allowed us to use his music. So enjoy it. Download more of it. Uh, Brother Deeg, D-E-G-E dot net. Go hit him up, guys. Thanks. You got your reasons. I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too old to die young now. Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.